0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
1: Mike Esposito back with you here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We are broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers Talking Bears and Bulls this evening. Uh, we will talk to Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago uh, at 7.40. Talk Bulls with Rob. Uh, also, unfortunately, talking about uh, the passing uh, of our friend Jeff Dickerson. Um, longtime Bears reporter for many different outlets. Uh, ESPN 1000, uh, ABC 7, ESPN National, you name it. Uh, you probably saw Jeff cover it. Um, also, um, Talking about John Madden, football legend who has passed this evening as well. Uh, we want to go to uh, the score hotline now, uh, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Uh, our colleague David Haw from The Mully and Haw Show joins us this morning. And David, uh, apologize for pulling you out of, uh, off of your uh, vacation there, uh, but uh, certainly appreciate you coming on to talk about. Uh, our friend Jeff Dickerson uh, who uh, very untimely passing today uh, complications due to colon cancer and uh, we know you'd be a good person to talk to we appreciate you jumping on my friend
2: you know thanks mike this is something that we all who knew Jeff and had you know heard about this and and talked to him and even visited him saw him last week and uh, on on Wednesday or Thursday and uh, you know, you, you know this is going to be the end result, not that he would ever acknowledge it or wanted to admit it. And and even though you can uh, expect something like this and the news to break and, and you know, you, you scroll and you refresh and you hit and you see the news and the words, you know, there's no way to prepare for it. There just isn't, you know, because I think that all of the tributes you're seeing and 280 characters at a time and you'll start to see some things written already that are very mm-hmm. poignant, you know, Kevin Seifert and, and others. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll give my best attempt to try to put some of these things into words. It's impossible to do. You lose somebody that has, you know, represents all that is good about people. And, and, you know, we work in a, in a, in a high stress, um, pressurized industry that can sometimes become toxic. And what Jeff Dickerson was able to do, We'll stay above it. There was no, there was nothing poisonous about his approach, and and he made every room that he walked into better. He was he was a guy that had a smile on his face, worked as hard as the next guy, and was competitive as they came. And we were competitors. You know, we were friends, and we worked together for a short time over the other radio station for a while, and then we worked uh, opposite. And and all always the same approach, always the same demeanor, and he's somebody that. Were, really was easy to respect, and as good as he was at, at, at his job, he was, he was a better person. He was a terrific husband and dad, and, um, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult to process for for people that have, you know, been, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many people you've lost. I don't care what you've been through. When When you see, you know, the good die young, it's still difficult to take
1: yeah no and and uh, agree a hundred percent with everything that you just said there, David. Uh, it's a guy that if you kind of drew it up and you were let's say you were a college student and you wanted to get into sports journalism and you wanted to cover you know whatever uh, your team is, but uh, you wanted to work in Chicago, you would he he would be one of the guys. he would be the guy you would point to and say, all right, that's how you do it right that's that's how you work. that's how you. <laughs> Network he, was guy, Espo, how, he was a guy. He was a guy that
2: when, when 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 you go to Super Bowls and there's a contingent. Let's go back to 2006 and the Bears were there. Or there's a there's a media contingent at the combine. Or you know everyone on the Bears beat understands what these things are. And you represent you know the Chicago media at these national national gatherings, national yeah. events. Jeff Dickerson was the guy you wanted to represent the Bears media. He was the guy you wanted to represent Chicago. He was a guy that represented everybody with class and dignity and a good humor, and he could laugh and he had a great sense of humor and we had a great time and we used to hang out at Super Bowls together because obviously we were always you know looking for this the Chicago angle and you know how it goes and and we were we would go to the same parties and we would go to the same dinners and we would see the same people every year, and we would have the same laughs and it was always the same thing with j d it was just it was just special the relationships that he forged and the way that he worked at those, and and the, and the laughs we had along the way and down to the end. Even last week, sitting in his hospital bed, you know, looking as weak as as you might expect, he he was still staying strong internally and trying to ask you, and ask us. You know, was there with Randy Merkin and was in, taking interest in our lives, and and still had a few laughs along the way. Just a quick story, you know, going back. You know, we we covered the Bears. Uh, you know, so many years but like going back Tank Johnson is a guy that used to think that Jeff and I he we looked alike right so <laughs> yeah we thought that we had similar features and he, he looked like you know how these players are they see you they, they they see blurs and they don't they don't you don't resonate with every player you don't have that kind of connection but Tank Johnson thought that we looked alike and he would always confuse us so one day if Tank got into some trouble, I don't remember which time that was. But I wrote a column for the Tribune, absolutely ripped him, right? R- r- ripped him. Yep. Uh, and that those are the days players paid a lot of attention. Tank Johnson's upset. We get word Tank Johnson's a little upset. And they gather around, and Tank's got something to say. The, the media gathers around Tank's locker. And I'm not in the media room yet. I'm 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 lingering, I guess, in the press room. J.D. is there with his... You know, Mike Flag in, in in position, and he's right by Tank, and Tank looks at him and starts tearing him on up and down <laughs> in his face. How could you do that to me? How could you criticize me? You know nothing. <laughs> and Jeff's like, what, "What are you talking about?" And he thought he was me, and he tried yeah. to fess up, and then uh, and it was it was just one of those things. And he never quite he never quite like bailed on me either. It was just like he took he took his medicine. That's what he did. He did it with a smile. And, uh, you know, he was one of those guys that just um, understood how to do the job and do it right.
1: Yeah, I I mentioned to Bruce last segment, David, and um, I'll tell it to you, you know, J.D. was always a guy, he had many... Uh, different outlets that he he got to work for and uh, did a great job in all of them. But he was always a guy that, and you mentioned the competitiveness, right? This is a crazy, weird industry, this sports media industry. But he was always a guy that it's like, man, Jeff earned that. He he's so good at it. I'm you know proud proud of my friend, right? I mean, you know, this is a guy who was it was. Living his dreams, uh, covering the Chicago sports media, and and really, you talk about professionalism. You talk about you know reporting and journalism and all the other things that go along with it. Uh, in addition to just doing uh, you know any talk shows or whatever, he's a guy who was actually reporting, right? He had the facts down. He had the journalism uh, stuff down as well.
2: Well, yeah, he's total pro, and, and he cared about the industry in that he always had time for people who were learning on the job or learning the job or young interns or guys that he would meet he, he, the way that Jeff Dickerson treated people explained the kind of person that he was and and showed the care that he took to every detail which is the way he was as a reporter which is the mm-hmm. way he was as a talk show host and he was you know he was as good of a host as he was a reporter and he wanted to get better and he was ambitious no question about it look he tried TV for for uh, ABC7 and did a terrific job and while yep. he was doing that he understood that that was a that was a necessary thing to do as you wanted to diversify and and branch out and and be versatile for the company for his career for his family and he wanted to get better and I can remember him being really conscientious and you know, seeking feedback. How did I do? What did you think? How, did I look Did I look too stiff? Am I reading the prompter okay? And he wanted to improve himself in ways that you don't always see, Espo. You know this business. You don't have a lot of yeah. guys who are always that open to criticism or right. feedback. But J.D. sought it, and he got better at it. And you know what? Same thing when he tr- started to write more. I can remember that, you know. He was so, like, self-conscious about everything, and they, they wanted him as, you know. He was a good writer. It, yeah. And he became that by working at it, by seeking feedback and help and improvement. And so I'm rambling. I apologize. It's difficult to try to put some things into words. But he is one of those guys that, you know, you you, you go through your career and, and there's a handful of people that you become close with. And, and certainly, you know, Jeff Dickerson uh, is one of those guys for me. And I think I know he was one of those guys for a lot of people.
1: Yep. Yeah, and that's the, the sense I'm getting too. I mean, I didn't realize – from a you and you mentioned the national media you know we get we get so uh, focused hyper focused here on Chicago as we are here in Chicago and, and those of us that don't necessarily travel to things uh, don't necessarily see the national impact uh, but but that's the one thing I've noticed immediately tonight in the outpouring of, of uh, grief for, for Jeff uh, after his passing that. Tons of the national media, you know, the, the 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 very biggest and most famous names that you would know from whether it's NFL or whatever, uh, are saying the same things about about Jeff that that we're saying now, and and they obviously got the same, uh, they got to know the same guy that we did.
2: Well, let me give you an example, Espo. You're exactly right. So it's October 14th, and um, the Von McClure Foundation had an event, you uh, know, in, in in the suburbs, and and it was one of those things where. You know, Vaughn died too young as well. And he, was, yep. you know, he yep. was a close friend of mine going back to South Bend and, and close friend to JD. And he made his mark uh, on the ESPN family as a reporter with the Falcons after he left Chicago or for the Falcons, covering the Falcons in Atlanta. So on October 14th, there was a, that function uh, that ESPN flew in every reporter from every NFL city. To be at this event and it was a terrific fundraiser and it was a special night and everybody had a great time and jd was the mc and he was he was running the show working the room and you know he had begun to sort of feel some things that i think that would come out later would, were, were ominous signs and it was unfortunate and, and scary but he never let it show and he commanded the room, and he loved every minute of it. And more importantly, he couldn't walk across the room. Everybody was great to see him, and what you just mentioned is true. So the guy from Denver who covers the Broncos, and the guy from you know New York who covers the Jets and Dallas, and all of these fa- all these reporters, and Rob Demosky from Wisconsin, and you know he's they're true. like JD, JD, JD. They know him, and they know what he's gone through with losing his wife, and they care for his son, and Parker, and now. This was a guy that impacted so many people in such a short time on this earth, and uh, you just you, you pray for his kid and, and you hope that he's going to be okay and surrounded by love and his family. And uh, he he definitely yeah, it wasn't just a Chicago story. This was a national uh, this was a national loss for people that uh, are, are in our business, and I think you have seen that from the reaction.
1: Yep, talking with David Haar, colleague here from the Mullion Haar Show on Six Seventy The Score, Mike Esposito with you this evening until nine. Uh, and that's the thing, David, right? I, I once upon a time was full time in this business. I've been freelance for a long while now, and I didn't see Jeff all the time, but when I did see him in the press box at soldier field, it was like no time had passed. It was, uh, you pick up where you left off. Uh, our last conversation, uh, the last time I saw him was about little league coaching and, and how, you know, he was involved with, with Parker and with, uh, the sports and just like I am with my kids and, um, just a, just a great dude and, and a guy that, uh, um, you know, you were always happy to see, and and you know that is not. And I'll make a joke about it. That's not always the case with some of the various people you run into in press boxes. Like, oh man, I got to see so and so again. Jeff was the opposite of that. That was the guy you wanted to see.
2: It's hard to stay positive sometimes in in this industry, and, and look at things. You know, we all become cynical, and, and we all are sort of conditioned to, you know, what makes a, a a good column, what makes a good talk show topic, what makes a good you know, talk show period. It, sometimes it's, it's looking at the glass half empty and it's looking at the negative sign. Why didn't they do this? And oh, they won, but it wasn't big enough. And you know what, Jeff could do that. And, and he did do that. He was skeptical as they came and he could ask the hard questions and put people on the spot to make them uncomfortable when necessary in a professional way. There's a professional sure. way to do your job in, in, to make people uncomfortable. But he, he, was, always, he was always respectful. And and he always kept in mind that, you know, how do you treat people away from the job is the way that he treated people on the job. And so he remembered that. And and that was um, that 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 that's what uh, I think the mark he made professionally.
1: And, and David, I want to get uh, a a thought from you on John Madden, too, before we let you go. And we appreciate you jumping on uh, on your time off here this week. Uh, But John Madden has passed at eighty five Madden. Uh, way back when head coach of the Raiders uh, when I was growing up, he was uh, the mainstay from the uh, NFL broadcast with Pat Summerall. My son would know him from video games and I'm sure your kids, right? I mean, who never, maybe never even heard a broadcast, right? But you knew him from video games, but this is a guy, if you look at kind of, and I don't want to say he's like Forrest Gump because he was just happen to be in the right place at the right time. He was obviously extremely talented uh, in many areas is when it came to football, but His fingerprints are all over this game since, uh, what, the late 60s?
2: Yeah, he was a heck of a coach. You know, I think that's one thing people of a certain age forget is that uh, he made his mark in the NFL initially as a head coach and and a champion. And then what he did in broadcasting was he humanized the booth. He he was a guy that didn't have to be, his diction didn't have to be perfect, his descriptions didn't have to be, you know, uh, always so polished and he watched football with you in your living room like you were sitting at the bar or like he was on the couch you know eating nachos and and wings with you and having a beer and that was john yep. madden's gift it was that he was the guy you wanted to watch a football game with each and every Sunday. Pat Sumral could, you know, be the master of ceremonies and keep things and keep the trains uh, uh, on the tracks and on time, and John Madden would go, oof, ah, you know, he would have <laughs> exactly. the sound effects, and he was the sound effect guy. And then that, what it, that did was that um, it, it enabled him to be the, the video game guy. So he has touched many generations, and all of them had the same conclusion. Football was always better watching it with John Madden.
1: No doubt about it. Uh, Turduckens and Thanksgiving broadcasts and all <laughs> kinds of different things. I mean, you think about it. I didn't even think about this. Brian Callahan, our producer, is like, don't forget about the Turducken. I'm like, I had forgotten about the Turducken, but that was all. Madden having fun with, with the game. And uh, I think, as you said, uh, everyone uh, better off for it uh, with John Madden and football. Well, David, we really appreciate your time. Uh, sad uh, reasons for, for having you on, but uh, good to talk to you as always, and um, we'll chat with you again soon.
2: Thanks, Espo. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year to you. That's David Haw, our colleague from the Mully and Haw Show, uh, weekday mornings, 5 to 9, right here on 670, the score. Um, And uh, our condolences again to the Dickerson family, uh, George and Sandy, Jeff's parents, and Parker, uh, Jeff's young son, uh, as our friend Jeff Dickerson passed uh, at the age of 44. When we return, we'll lighten things up a little bit. We'll talk uh, some football. Dave Wanstead uh, was on yesterday. We'll talk Uh, with Dave and bring some of his comments back. And then before the hour is out at 740, Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago will join us to talk Bulls. Mike Esposito here on 670 The Score.
2: This is Sports
1: Radio
0: 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago sports station.
1: And we are back on 670 The Score. Mike Esposito here with you until 9, talking Bears, talking Bulls with you. Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago will join us at 7.40, talking a little hoops. Bulls have won four straight and are playing great ball. Uh, Before that, though, our old pal Dave Wanstead, one of the best in the business uh, in terms of talking football, X's and O's, and a man with more good stories than just about anyone I know. He was on uh, this morning with Zach Zadman and Tom Thayer, Dave Wanstead.
3: Wani, good morning. Hope you had a great holiday weekend as we head to the new year. I want to start off with something that you probably didn't expect me to start off. But I want to make fun of Tom Thayer's alma mater. Because I'm sure you saw that Ian Book yesterday had a had a rough NFL debut. He got sacked eight times. New Orleans shorthanded because of the COVID issues and injury issues. Did you know, Wani, Notre Dame quarterbacks have now lost Twenty-four straight NFL starts. Four by Brady Quinn, your partner. Four by Jimmy Clausen. Fifteen by Deshaun Kaiser and one now by Ian Book. What the heck has happened to the fighting Irish?
4: Well, I'm not gonna pick on my friend Tom Thayer. I promise <laughs> you that. <laughs>
5: I'm
4: gonna stay uh but I will say this, maybe that's why Brian Kelly couldn't get an NFL job all these years. You know? Uh Maybe the NFL guys were looking at, and uh, there was there was something there. But uh, that is interesting. I would have never guessed that. I mean, God, you got to win a couple games by accident, don't you? Uh, you you would think that, so. That, yeah, you would think so. But that when you said we were going to talk about something other than the Bears, I was I was I was going to start googling up my. Bulls line up here and scoring and stuff. <laughs> I thought we were going to right to the Bulls or something.
3: <laughs> no, I, I, I do think, you know, it's funny you mention the Bulls. And by the way, uh, for those that are just waking up, the Bulls with another victory last night. They beat the Atlanta Hawks by a final of 130-118. to 118. They've won their fourth in a row. They're now the second seed in the Eastern Conference as they continue to shine. And the reason I bring them up is they are a great example of an organization that if you make the right hires in an off-season in terms of the decision-makers, you can quickly turn around the fortunes of your franchise. It essentially took two years for them to flip around what had been a, a rough franchise, a team that had struggled mightily for a while, but they bring in Arturis Karnishevis and UGM, they hire a very competent head coach in Billy Donovan, they make some shrewd free agent signings, and voila, all of a sudden, they're a good team.
4: When it comes to the NFL, is there such a thing as a quick fix? Well, don't, I mean, wouldn't Tampa Bay be about as close, and I know they added, you know, the Antonio Browns of the world and Gronk, but, you know, Mike Evans was there. I mean, they, they did have a nucleus of players. Now, without adding the couple of players that I mentioned, probably Leonard Fournette, they wouldn't have won a Super Bowl, but I think they would have turned that franchise around to a, a winning program with Tom Brady, uh, you know, wild card. I mean, who knows how far, but uh, it's, it's a lot tougher. And Tom knows this just because of the numbers, you know, with 11 as compares to five on the field. But um, it can sure help. And if there was one position that could do it, I would say that it would be uh, the quarterback or a great running back. I mean, if you, you get a great running back and you really commit to him and you know what you're doing on the running game, um, you'll probably, you know, the fans won't like it. You know, the media won't like it because it'll be a little bit of a boring type of attack. But trust me, that's 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 probably why I got fired. That's why I'm talking to you guys. I uh, That's that's how I made a living for about 40 years. So uh, it can work, yes.
5: Hey, Dave, you know, when you're... When you, uh, we got to talk about the offensive line eventually. Zach only wants to talk about receivers and quarterbacks and kick Notre Dame when they're down. However, you know... <laughs> You you had such a great relationship with Tony Weiss, and I think Tony is one of the finest offensive line coaches from college to the NFL. And you look at the situation that the Bears are in with Larry Borum and Tevin Jenkins, and you're trying to decide what these guys are going to do for you for the next 10 years. Do you put all that on the shoulders of Tony Weiss, your offensive line coach, to decide where they fit the best and where their future's going to be? Or is this something that is done in, in a coaching staff meeting?
4: Well, you know, if you've got a real good offensive line coach, which Tony is, you know, I always thought that offensive line coaches, of every position coach, every position coach on the field, the one coach that can make the biggest difference in your players going to the next level is offensive line. Uh, because those guys, I don't care how where they come from or what they did in college, they can improve their skills in the offensive line and you can come up with schemes uh, to give them a little better advantage so they, they can be more productive for the team and they can execute the offense better. You know, we never really... Uh, I think the biggest thing, and you know this, Tom, better than I do, the biggest thing that I see in, in talking to Tony, in fact, you'll love this, Tom. I was talking to him yesterday. He was so excited because Ron Turner is going to be the offensive coordinator for the Hula Bowl. So Ron calls Tony up and says, Hey, you want to coach the offensive line in this year's senior all star game for our listeners, the Hula Bowl? So Tony calls me and says, Hey, I'm going I'm to coach this thing. And, uh, I said, oh, man, Hawaii. And he says, well, that's what I thought. And then Ron oh, called gosh. me back and says, they moved the Hula Bowl to Florida. So it's in Orlando. So long story short, he next I think it's next week or the week after next, he'll be actually coaching the offensive line in that all-star game. Uh, back to your point, you know, he never really – he had his way of blocking things. And, and good offensive line coaches are this – Tell me what you want to do. If you really understand the running game, tell me what runs you want to run, and then I'll figure out a way to block them. And if we can't block them, I'll tell you that, you know, versus this defense that they run and how they move or how they blitz or how they line up, this is not the best run. We should run this. So, you know, there, there, that's a position there's so much more. If you're really good at it, you can make such a, a an impact on your football team. But it goes back to the head coach. You've got to have a coordinator, and you've got to have a head coach that, number one, believes in running the ball. And I've said this, Tom, to, uh, Tommy, and all you guys. When I first got the Bears job, I was at the combine, and Bill Parcells said, hey, Dave, what, you know, we're talking about going. And he said, Who, uh, who's going to be your offensive coordinator? And I told him I was talking to, to, to Ron Turner, and I was talking to Chan-Gate, two or three guys, Matt Cavanaugh, and he said, let me tell you something. He says, make sure when you hire your offensive coordinator, all these guys in the interview are going to say that they believe and they want to run the football because they know you. Very few of them in their heart believe it. So I think that's a real key for an offensive line coach is truly getting a coordinator that believes in the run. And, uh, you know, if you don't, you're kind of wasting your time.
5: Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think Tony was one of the most aggressive offensive line coaches. And I went to the Hula Bowl, and I think the kids are going to benefit there from being around a personality like Tony because he's the guy that can give them the most realistic reflection of what is expected of them in the NFL. And I'm looking forward to that. So, Dave, I, 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 you know, Zach and I were talking about you a little earlier before you came on, and you know, from what the NFL is offering these organizations to do now, to go out there and say, oh, if we release our Head coach, we can go and start interviewing head coaches. Dave, you were such a hot product when you were coming out of Dallas. How long into the season did the earliest team contact your agent or you about your thoughts about being a head coach? And um, because I, I think there's a little bit more underground conversations then and today that that we become aware of.
4: Well, I, I can be honest with you; that nothing happened with me. It was into the playoffs. It was not until the playoffs started did I uh, get contacted by somebody. And uh, and again, you know, no one really released their coaches until the end of the season. At that time, so that made a little bit of a difference. But um, no, it, it it was different. I mean, I don't think there was the jump on it, the urgency of it. And you know what? I personally think that stuff's overrated because I say this, and I know everybody's talking about Chicago. Oh, if they're going to make a change, should they make a change now? My question is go ahead. You want to fire uh, Matt Nagy, fire him. Now, who's going to make the phone call and who's going to do the Zoom interviews? Is it going to be Ryan? Is that the decision you made? Fantastic. Is it going to be George or Ted? I mean, you, you know, it. it I used to sit in those meetings and get so frustrated. They would say, uh, "God, that guy can't play right tackle," and I'd say, "Great, who's going to take his place?" You know, I mean, let's don't. I know the problem. Now, give me how are we going to solve it? So I, I kind of look at firing these coaches early a little bit that way. I mean, if there's if there's indecision about the president and the GM and the whole organization. So go ahead, get rid of them, and and now what are you going to do for the next two weeks? Are you really going to make any headway? I I don't know. I I think it's a little bit overrated, to be quite honest with you. That's just my opinion.
3: Visiting with Dave Wanstead here on The Score. He's with us for two segments this morning. And I think the rest of the league, Wani, agrees with you because yesterday was the first opportunity for teams to let go of head coaches if they wanted to take advantage uh, of the new rule, which allows you to interview guys over the final two weeks of the regular season. And no one decided to do that, I think, in large part because of what you're saying, that you can wait the two weeks and then kind of reset, figure out exactly what direction you want your organization to go. I think the situations in Jacksonville and Las Vegas are different because of what took place off the field with Urban Meyer and and with John Gruden. That's why those changes were made, not to take advantage of this new rule uh, this season. It sounds yeah, I, to me...
4: Yeah, go mm-hmm. ahead. No, I, I was gonna say if you start looking around at the, some of the teams you mentioned, those two, you know, I know the Giants. There's a lot. The, it used to be the coaches would always get fired, but the personnel directors and the general managers very rarely ever got fired. You know, nowadays they're getting rid of the GM. I mean, if they get rid of Mike Zimmer, they might just as easy get rid of Rick Spielman at Minnesota. If they get rid of the guy at. Uh, I can't think of his name. No, with the Giants, they could get rid of Gettleman, Gettleman with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's the, – a lot of these guys are tied at the hip, uh, and there's major decisions for these owners, and most of these owners aren't qualified to start doing Zoom calls, uh, you know, and in, in interviewing coaches. I mean, I don't know. It, that's all- just uh, that's just my spin.
1: That's Dave Wanstead. He was on this morning with uh, Zach Zadman and Tom Thayer, who were in for Mully and Haw uh, earlier today, we'll talk lots more Bears and lots more NFL in the next hour. Uh, Sean Hammond from Shaw Media and Bears Insider will join us at 8 to talk Bears. Coming up next, though, we're going to switch gears and talk a little Bulls with Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago. That's coming up next, right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. This is
0: Sports Radio 670, The Score, and 670, The Score.com. Chicago Sports Station.
5: Reddish. Left wing wide open three, nope. Rebound, Bulls, Kobe will walk over the timeline and this ball game is over. Bulls win, Bulls win, Bulls win. And what a ball game here at Atlanta,
1: 130 to 118. That was Chuck Swirsky right here on 670. The score with the call for last night's Bulls victory. 130-118 over the Atlanta Hawks. The Bulls, don't look now, are in first place in the Central Division in the Eastern Conference. 21-10 and 10 is their overall record. We're going to talk a little Bulls now, and to do so, we jump on out to the score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. From NBC Sports Chicago, Rob Schaefer joins us. You can find him uh, on Twitter, as I do, at Rob underscore Schaefer. And Rob Appreciate you jumping on and uh, talking a little. First place Bulls. I know it's a little early for standings talk, but there the Bulls are. A game ahead of Milwaukee in the Central. Hey, you know, so I it,
6: suppose maybe it's a little early for standings talk, but at the end of the day, 31 games in, we're approaching the halfway point of the season. I think you know anything positive that you have to take away from what the Bulls have done so far at this point is looking pretty legit uh, right now. So you know, it, I know this this NBA season has gone a little sideways with all this COVID stuff, but We are chugging along here and the Bulls uh, don't look like they're going anywhere.
1: Well, and you know, there, there was certainly some reason for concern uh, for, for both of the things you just said, the COVID stuff, you know, the Bulls have had, uh, geez, I think just about everybody at this point has been on the COVID list at one point or another, but it hit them earlier than it seemed to hit uh, the rest of the league. They lost two straight at Cleveland and at Miami earlier this month. Then there were some postponements because of the COVID thing, but since then, uh, and especially since getting DeMar DeRozan and now Zach Levine back, uh, they have been playing some great ball.
6: Yeah, it sounds funny to say, but there is almost a silver lining to them being one of the first NBA teams to be hit uh, by an outbreak uh, in a month that has featured outbreaks left and right, replacement players being signed, um, you know, lengthy injury reports. Uh, so the Bulls, who had their first positive test of their outbreak with Kobe White on December 1st, and I think between then and it was December 12th or 13th, had 10 guys enter. Uh, for them to be the first team that was hit by it, uh, they got you know the benefit of two postponements to get you know, their outbreak in order. They did. Um, since coming back from that break, not only have they won four in a row, um, we've seen Nikola Vucevic really step up uh, his play after he struggled uh, particularly shooting the basketball uh, early in the season. Um, they've just kind of kept rolling, kept chugging along. It's not to say it's been perfect. They're still shorthanded. Obviously, Lonzo Ball is in protocols right now. Billy Donovan, you know, head coach of the team, is in protocols. Alex Caruso has been a little banged up. Uh, but for everybody that they've been without, um, they've showed pretty remarkable resilience. And, you know, for this team to really, you can't say for an extended period of time, has been at full strength at any point this season. And it's a new team from last season to begin with. For them to have coalesced the way they have, uh, is pretty impressive, and it's a big part of why they are where they are right now.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned Vooch, and I wanted to ask you about him, too, because he was a guy who struggled early. He had COVID early. Uh, just seemed like he was a bit snake bitten earlier uh, this season. Uh, plus, you had DeMar DeRozan come in and just play so well uh, alongside Zach. Uh, Vooch, uh, I don't want to say he was forgotten because he by by no means was was he forgotten, but he, he was not uh, let's just say this. He was not playing Vooch-like basketball. And now all of a sudden, and he, he really had a nice game last night, I think 24-17 and 17, uh, was his mm-hmm. uh, stat line last night. Uh, the guy has seemingly found himself uh, here going uh, going into the last uh, – or through the last few weeks. Yeah, six assists and four blocks too. I mean, his, his impact is, was all-encompassing. And, you know, even he was, I think – uh,
6: 1.412 shooting from the field, but then really, you know, heated up in the fourth quarter. Uh, made three big threes uh, that helped stave off Atlanta. Had a couple comeback bids, but you know, I agree with you. I wouldn't, you know, the word forgotten probably isn't the right word for for Vooch, um in this offense. Although he is, you know, in a scoring sense, third on the totem pole behind DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, but. His role uh, changed, his usage changed from where it was uh, earlier in his NBA career, particularly when he was an All-Star in Orlando. He was posting up a lot more than he has this year. He had offense running through him uh, a lot more than he has this year, taking more shots, uh, everything like that. Now, you know, that it obviously took a little bit of adjusting uh, to that um, this season. The COVID thing obviously derailed him, uh, missing almost two weeks uh, with that ailment back in, uh, back in November before the Bulls got hit with their team-wide issues there. Uh, And then I'm sure there was just an element of, you know, you know, not just not shooting the ball. Well. And I think what the bulls trusted all along was that, this guy has been an all-star performer and, you know, uh, if it's a matter of shots, not falling, and it's not a matter of work ethic, which it never has been with Fuchs, And it's not a matter of, um, you know, anything deeper than just a slump. um, He was going to find himself eventually. He has in, in the four game winning streak since they got back from that pause, he's averaging something like 19 points, 13 rebounds over two blocks, and shooting 50% from the field and 44% from three. So he's been outstanding when he looks the way that he did last night. And you have Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan clearing 30 points each. It's a pretty insurmountable thing to have a trio like that producing at the level that they are and at the efficiency that they were um, last night. So, you know, Vooch, he's always going to bring it. Uh, rebounding-wise, screen-setting-wise, he's, he's really important as a facilitator uh, for the Bulls. But when he's scoring the way that he has the last few games, it really raises this team's ceiling considerably.
1: Yep. And the nice thing is we talked to Rob Schaefer talking bulls, uh, Rob from NBC sports, Chicago, of course, uh, as you're watching the game last night and Atlanta's trying to fight back and cam Reddish was on fire there in the, in the second half. Um, and you, and you've got Trey young, of course, uh, down there in Atlanta and, and they kept closing the gap. Uh, I think they get within five, a few times. Uh, the bulls always had an answer and, and it was usually either DeMar or Zach, Kobe White made some plays in the second half there. Vooch hit a three or two uh, down the stretch there, but uh, there doesn't seem to be any panic in these guys, does there? That's been the MO of this team. I mean, they've they've been a great fourth quarter team all season. That
6: was one of the biggest problem areas last year. They let, you know, just shooting themselves in the foot, let too many games slip away in that period, blew big leads. Um, This year, it hasn't been that way. Um, There is, uh, I think I agree with you, a calmness, a steadiness to this team down the stretch of games. A lot of that, has to do with DeMar DeRozan because his scoring, his shot-making, uh, particularly in the mid-range, his facilitating, um, and just the pace that he plays with, the experience that he brings to the table and kind of that um, calming presence, it's something that hasn't existed on this team throughout the rebuild. And, you know, I think you ask anybody on the team, Zach Obeem just talked about this the other night, that calming effect has kind of trickled uh, down the roster um, it doesn't hurt to have, you know, a secondary guy. Maybe I shouldn't even say secondary, but just to have a second prong of that attack in Zach Levine, that's the best perimeter scoring duo in the NBA right now. Um, having a release valve like Booch helps. And, uh, you know, when Lonzo's been healthy, he's had his best three-point shooting season. Um, a lot of the role guys, whether it be Derek Jones Jr., Io DeSumo, Javante Green, have all starred in those roles. So, it's it, you know, it's all combined to... Um, you know, obviously have this team 11 games over 500 for the first time since, you know, the, the Tom Thibodeau era. Um, but really, the, it, the, the stark difference in fourth quarter execution between last season and this one is a, a huge part of, thing, I think, of what makes this team's success uh, sustainable. And it makes it reasonable if you're a Bulls fan to, to, you know, dream of what it could look like down the line in, uh, in playoff series come, uh, come spring.
1: Yeah, I think people are certainly thinking of of playoffs and and a nice playoff run. I I don't know, and and what's your opinion? I know, you know, Milwaukee, we talked about the Bulls are a game ahead of them right now. Uh, I know everyone likes New Jersey with Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving for however uh, Kyrie Irving is able to be used. But uh, I would assume uh, between those two teams and the Bulls heading forward, and Cleveland has been a nice surprise in the East, uh, that that's uh, probably your top four right now uh, heading forward into the Eastern Conference.
6: Yeah, I think the wild card's in there, too. You know, Miami, they've had some some availability issues, but uh, with Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, and Bam Adebayo and the depth that they have and having, you know, one of, if not the best coach in the league, and Eric Spolstra, I think they're, uh, you know, not, not a team that anybody wants to see um, come postseason time. So they'll, they'll be in that mix. And then, you know, Philly kind of looms to me, too, um, because they, you have an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid. It's just a matter of yep. if they can turn this Ben Simmons saga into anything. Productive, but yeah, I, the Bulls are right there in the thick of that upper echelon. Um, I expect them to be, uh, you know, for the remainder of the regular season, and then we'll see how matchups break out in the playoffs. The Bucks matchup is one I'm I'm especially intrigued by because they've beaten the Nets twice this season. Uh, it looks like that's a matchup that um, the Bulls, you know, have been able to to weather and uh, succeed in. Uh, but the Bucks, obviously, Giannis presents so many matchup difficulties. Uh, the size of their team in general, when they've been fully healthy especially with their own big three of, of Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis. Um, they've been every bit as good, if not better, than they were last season. So, I, you know, those teams don't play until, you know, the, the calendar flips into the new year. Um, but, you know, this Bulls team has passed a lot of the measuring sticks that have been in front of them this season. And I think the next big significant one is, is that Bucs matchup, see how they stack up against them.
1: Yeah, it's certainly been a fun run thus far, and and hopefully it continues. Uh, last few minutes here with Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago talking Bulls. Uh, and one of the most fun things uh, to me, Rob, watching this Bulls team, and and I had not watched a ton of DeMar DeRozan when he was in Toronto or, or in San Antonio, but watching him get to his spot, and they talk about it all the time, whether it's Chuck Swirsky on our, our radio broadcasts or whether it's uh, on the TV broadcast with Adam Amin, um, and they talk about him getting to his spot and making those mid-range shots, watching him work to get to those spots, to me, I mean, it, it's not in any way remotely exciting like, you know, windmill dunks or anything. But to me, it's fun. I enjoy watching the old crafty veteran get his shots as, as he's working for him.
6: 100%. And, and, you know, DeRozan will tell you that, you know, that that quality of his game, you know, he's, he's an old-school player. The guys that he idolized, um, Kobe Bryant especially, influenced that. And, you know, when you watch him play, you kind of realize why a lot of NBA players and a lot of, you know, ex-players refer to that game, the mid-range game, as an art. There's a level of, of footwork, of pace, of uh, patience and poise, obviously, that goes into it that is pretty tantalizing to watch when you have a guy like DeRozan who can combined, you know, combine his, you know, ball handling skills, footwork, uh, obviously elevation, and just the, the muscle memory uh, with his jump shot. It, it, it's, it's pretty beautiful uh, to watch at times. Um, that's been his MO throughout his career, but obviously, you know, this season in, in year 13 to be averaging 27 a game and leading the league in fourth quarter scoring. I mean, you, you can make an argument to this point he's having the best season of what's been a multi-time all-star multi-time all NBA career. Um, it's, it's been pretty remarkable to watch him, especially scoring in that area. Um, I think it's pretty underrated. I mean, he'll, he'll, you know, one thing that he talks about a lot is how, you know, that aspect of basketball, you know, that mid range area has been forgotten in a lot of circles, but, when you have a player like him who could do it so efficiently, uh, it, it's really a pretty lethal weapon to have, especially late in games, um, to be able to turn to him. He's so low turnover. He's such a good decision maker. And you know, when you when you can guarantee that no matter what type of shot he gets off, no matter how contested it is, no matter what spot on the floor it's from, when you can guarantee that you're getting a 45 to 50 percent, um, you know, percentage chance of two points, it's it's proven very, very, very effective for the Bulls. Um, as has his driving, his foul drawing, his passing. Um, You know, there's a reason he's an MVP candidate uh, to this point in the season. Um, And it's a reason why, you know, the sum of this Bulls offseason has has looked as impressive as it is.
1: Yep, 100% agreed. And uh, certainly looking forward to the rest of the season. Rob Schaefer, NBC Sports Chicago, appreciate you jumping on with us tonight and uh, keep up the great work. Hey, thanks for having me. Anytime. That's uh, Rob Schaefer, NBC Sports Chicago. Great Bulls talk with Rob uh, and great coverage there uh, of the Bulls on NBC Sports Chicago. The score, of course, your home for Bulls basketball. uh, And we have all uh, of the 82 Bulls regular season games and playoff games right here on 670. The score uh, next Bulls broadcast, by the way, 645 tomorrow night. Chuck Sworski, Bill Wennington will have uh, your call Uh, The pregame at 645, the tip against the Atlanta Hawks tomorrow uh, at 7 p.m. right here on 670 The Score uh, and the Horizon Therapeutics Bulls Radio Network. When we come back, we will talk Bears. We'll get back into football. We'll talk with Sean Hammond from Shaw Media and Bears Insider. Talk Justin Fields, talk Bears as they wind down their regular season with two games left to play. It's Mike Esposito with you, till nine here on 670 The Score.